it really is so good to be here and to see families and kids. And, and if you're there watching from, from uh, someplace else or you couldn't be here this morning, uh, please make sure you're here every time you can. Uh, if you're in the neighborhood or you just didn't get up in time, whatever it was this morning, uh, make sure that you see this is a place where family gathers, where people of all ages and from all walks of life come together to worship God and to sense that clear uh, fellowship that is here. This is a great place to be, is it not? Yes? Five of you saw that? Come on. Anyway, I want you to turn in, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to speak a little bit first so you have time to find it, right? If, if you kind of get through the Gospels and, and get through some of the longer letters, it won't be long until you get to, to uh, Philippians. Uh, you know, to get things done is kind of what we have looked at here. There are two things that need to be present. It is the will to do it. And the drive to get it done. You know, way too often we are facing, uh, situations where, where we want to see things happen. We, we want it to be. And yes, this is what I want, but we somewhat lack the drive to get it done. It was J.F. Kennedy, I think at least he is, he is, uh, uh, said to be the one who came up with this, this quote. He said, I want to surround myself with people, ambitious people, People who want to change the world and who has the drive, have the drive to get it done. Yes? I think we, we see that as a tension, friends. Don't we all, you know, and kiddos in school and, and uh, young people in the colleges and, and all of you see that tension there. We know we're here for education. We should be really eager, but you know, there's so many other things. <laughs> Right at work, uh, we should get more organized. Even in our own business, we should get things done. We should maybe get involved in things that are really kind of important at a different level. And then reality happens, and other things take the place. In marriages, when we first get married, we we are so excited. We have all kinds of visions for what our home is going to be about, how we're going to relate to one another, how we're going to be role models, how we're going to spend the time with the kids to really kind of train them and, and raise them up. And, and then things kind of happen and it doesn't quite always go the way we want in, in church. Maybe also we, we come to church and we want to be like the best role models ever to show people what it means to truly be an active, full, uh, in, fully engaged Christian that, that walks with God and, and takes care of things and get things done. And, and then life kind of get busy in, in other ways in our neighborhood. Uh, we, we, we get a new place to live and we said, you know, I'm going to get to know all my neighbors. I'm going to invite them and bring them uh, into part of a fellowship. I'm going to look for, for lonely people and, and let them sense that they're not alone and bring them to church. You know, we come to church maybe and say, I want to be the witness that everybody who knows me knows also that I'm going to speak to them about Jesus Christ. And a lot of I will, I will. And we always caught in that tension between having the will and, and knowing we need to drive to get it done. And Paul says it this way, speaking 
about the will and the work. Two sides of, of the same thing that cannot ever be separated. I want to surround myself with people who has the will to change the world and the drive to get it done. Look with me how Paul expresses that very thought in chapter 2 of Philippians uh, verse 12 in the next four verses. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. But it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. To do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. By holding firm to the word of life, then I can boast in the day of Christ that I did not run and labor for nothing. I wanted to kind of walk through this a little bit like a Bible study, maybe. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can, can kind of look at, at some of these things and just notice when you see always the text begin with a therefore, you're asking, what is that therefore, therefore? And so you see that there's a parallel therefore going on in the text. Paul begins by saying, therefore, you shall. And it's directly paralleled by what he said three verses earlier when he said, therefore, God has. And that's kind of the way that, that it always works in Scripture. And Paul kind of does that par excellence, if you will. The way he argues is to say this, God has done this, therefore, you should live like that. That's kind of the pattern of the way he argues. He never just comes up with what some parents do sometimes. Well, I have no argument for it. But just do it because I say it. Paul always goes, God has done that. Like Ephesians, he would say, God broke down the walls that separate. Therefore, you should not have divisions among you. So it's kind of the pattern, the, the indicative of what God, or who God is and, and what he's done and the imperative that follows for that, how we should react to what God has done. And then the first thing he talks about here, the first thing he talks about is this word that we kind of don't care too much for, right? It's the word obedience. There's just something about that word that, that, that just grinds different and diff, in, in difficult ways for the modern mind. But what Paul is doing, look at this, he's, he's bringing them right back to when they first came to faith, when, when he was with them still in Philippi, when they came to know the Lord and when everything they want to be about was to follow God 100%, whatever it is, Lord, my life will change. You are now my Lord. That kind of obedience, like you had it then, have it still. That's where it goes with Paul and, and then he moves on with them and, and kind of uses this great word that when you look at it, it, it has all kinds of power that would open it up for us other than that kind of somewhat negative, just do what I say kind of obedience. 
the word kind of reflects the notion that, that you get up when you hear someone knocks. The word refers to, in you, if you will, this kind of idea that, that, that you do something as a result of having heard something. There's something that require your immediate response. And so, I have to ask you this morning, just like I asked myself when I was preparing this. Have you heard God knocking on your door? Have you heard something to which you need to give your immediate response? That's the real question, and it doesn't matter whether you're just a young child or you're fully grown up and you are seeing the latter years of, of your life here on earth. It's always that question. Do you sense in your heart a desire to be obedient to God, to respond to something you've heard, to have not just the will to do it, but the drive to get that done? If that's what you find in your heart, you're on your way to what Paul calls obedience. Some of you may know Andre Crouch. Some of you may not. Uh, some of you recognize he's one of the greatest uh, hymn writers that we've had in the last several many decades, I guess. Some of you know him because he used to sing with Billy Graham. Some of you just like his, his albums, whatever it is. So many of his songs uh, are so well known to God be the glory or through it all, whichever song you're thinking about with this. But one of his famous songs was Take Me Back. Take me back, O oh Lord, to the time when I first believed. That time when there was no doubt in my mind about who I want to follow. That time when I was 100% committed in every way. Take me back to that. And then you go to this, this text right here and you see that, that because or therefore, there's a therefore that God, what God has done. Therefore, God has exalted him. Why? Because Jesus let go of his divine privileges and took the form of a servant. Therefore, God exalted him and gave him the name about all other names. And then the next therefore comes, therefore, you also. Like you always were, be obedient. Respond to the call to what you hear. There's a, an encouragement. Have you seen this? There's an encouragement. It's a beautiful, beautiful language that you see in this text. That you are to work out what he is working in. Live out the Christian life so that God can work in you. That's the subtlety of language, but it's beautiful, right? That, that as God works in you, you are to work out his presence in your life, in ministry and life. As the spirit works to change you, it comes out. That in and out that runs Together, 
in this. Look back, if you don't mind, in this text. There's so much power for this theme that we're asked to look at today, right? So, so from the call to responding to God's and follow him in obedience follows this question of responsibility. God is not just made of brainless puppets that automatically will do whatever God tells us to do. That's what he's saying here. Work out your salvation. And I need to speak a word of that because that is so easy to understand and it has been at times. Paul is not saying, not even suggested in the slightest way, that there are certain things that you need to do to get saved. That by doing certain things, then you know you will be saved. There's none of that kind of work ethics for salvation involved in this. That's not even someplace far in the back of Paul's mind. It is so clear that what he's saying here is the exact Opposite. Paul speaks of the responsibility that you have as a Christian, that we have as Christians, to make our salvation visible. That's what he's talking about. Not to occasion it or to make it happen because of work, but to make it visible because it has become ours. This new life that was given to us by God, if you desire to grow in that, that free gift of grace that he gave you, he's saying, you should work out what I worked in, in your life. Spiritual growth is a result of your reaction to God's grace. That's how that works, if you will. We're born again from above. But once that new life has become yours, then through the grace of God and the guidance of his spirit, you work it out that his presence becomes visible. Friends, that's the power of you see in this text and where you see true grit come through. So, so it's, it's not really all that complicated when we start thinking about it, right? So, so in the school situation, or at work for that matter, you know, you're given a problem. And it's now yours to solve. It's been given to you, but it awaits its solution in the context where you live. A newlywed couple. Have heard all kinds of things through their premarital counseling with the minister or or where they've received it. Now they're married. They have it. But what? It is theirs to work out. Right? And, And that only happens. That marriage only blossoms through the possibility and shared experiences and in development and in investigation in joys and all these things that are shared. Work out your salvation. That's the challenge and the encouragement from this text. But it goes on uh, further into this. 
Right? And, and, and look at how Paul carefully kind of crafts his language right here and talk about attentiveness. The language that is used, you know, confuses us a little bit. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And those words are difficult words for our minds because they kind of indicate anxiety and all that. Again, that's not the meaning of the text. Those words, they have a different meaning at that time, and it really reflects attentiveness. That's the point of what's going on right here. Paul speaks to the necessity of being vigilant to the value and the importance of your salvation. It is as far as the east is from the west to think that Paul in some way or another had this sense that we should walk around being fearful about whether we lived up to a certain code that God had and we might lose our salvation for that if we didn't know something like that. That is nowhere close to Paul's language here. He is simply talking about attentiveness. He's using the kind of language that we speak when we speak of of loved ones, right? Think of this might be the best illustration if you think of of how it worked with those you love, whether those are your children or or they're your parents or they're your spouse or, or whatever it may be. That is exactly what happens there. You want to love them. Yes, there might be times when you're disciplined, but even that discipline could never be mistaken for something that causes fear. Don't ever miss this, friends. This is about you want to guide. And for spouses and, and other, you know, you want to make sure you love in such a way. What? That the best is brought out. That you make sure you don't hurt. If you have a good, solid, wonderful marriage, the one thing you're keen about is that you work with your spouse in such a way that you're careful not to hurt. That you're careful to consider the one you love. Because when you're hurt, it's painful. And that's the picture Paul is bringing here of God. Exactly this. If you act like you don't care about God, it hurts the Father. Just think of it. It hurts the Father. And if you get to the point sometimes when you say, I don't care what they all think about me. And if that's with someone you love, you better check that relationship, friends. That's the same with God. If you come to the point where I don't care what he thinks, you better check your relationship. Because that's what Paul says. You work out your salvation with keen attentiveness that you do it in such a way that he can be filled with joy at your love for him. So um, I'm looking at the clock here. And, and so if you just take another step with me into verse 13 in this text and just look here how God is the one who gives the power both to will and to work. Not just to will, but both to will and to work. Grit does not mean in the Christian sense that you are able to just clench your teeth and do it by your own strength. It was never that. 
It was always that God is the one who gives the strength both to will and to work. The power of God cannot be reduced to some kind of philosophical notion. We like to talk about the power of God. We recognize the power of God. We sing about the power of God, right? That, that he would, you know, have us run out of the grave. But the power of God is not just a theoretical concept. It's a real life-changing experience. He is the one that works in you both to will and to work. These things are God's blessings both. That's where you find the power to do so from that same place. And, and that is, there's too much in this text. I, I, the word right here that, that is, that is translated, we say here to, to work this out is the word from which we get the word energy. Energy. And in scripture, that, you, that word is usually used to, to designate work that has a purpose. Deeds that, that result in a certain effect that becomes visible for those around. An effectiveness, if you will, in God's word that finds expression in the energy that God fills our lives with. Well, I hope we don't miss this. God is the one who energizes us, if you will, both to will and to do. The obedience and the responsibility and the attentiveness that Paul has just talked about to his love are all made possible through him who grants us the energy to receive the will and the power to work. And it covers it all. That's what we see here. It's all encompassing, if you will. The breadth and the depth and the width, the height of God's power is enough for all, both to will. And just as sin will, will just sow indifference. That's what sin does. It sows Indifference And indifference strangles work. And the lack of work kind of shuts down any kind of desire to will. God's power will do the opposite. It will energize. It will recharge, if you will. And you will find within yourself the desire both to will and to work. So Paul wraps this up, and I'm going to do the same and just look here by how he does it. it. It is like a cold shower almost. And we've just gotten used to, we've just gotten used to kind of, okay, we're talking about God's power. We like this. He's energizing us. We like this. And then what? Verse 14, like a cold shower after you step out of a hot sauna, right? Do it without grumbling and without argument. Has God never been in a Baptist business meeting? The power here, right, as, as you see that, is, is that 
Paul's response is not that he lists out all these things to do. He's not talking about a number of things to be done. He's talking about the kind of things to be done. Or even the kind of attitude to be had. It's not about rules. It's about attitudes. And that's how that works right here. The negative hindrances, as we know, both the inner and the outer, we know them. They've been in the church and before that in Israel, all the way back, right? What happened when they came out in Egypt? They just saw God's great hand open up the waters, walking through that sea of reeds, getting into uh, the, the, the desert. And then they started grumbling. Oh, I don't get the food I like. I don't get the... yeah. Then we get to the New Testament, right? And they are a poor church. They don't know, so they, they, they pool their money. And we got generous people like, like Barnabas that are helping out. And, and then suddenly the, the Greek-speaking uh, people didn't feel like they got treated the same way as the Hebrew-speaking people. And selfishness kind of takes over. And suddenly you find all these difficult, difficult things. That's the negative attitudes. The opposite. There's so much as you say of that, but we, I see the clock, and so I'm just going to round it up like this. Notice the opposite side of that, right? The positive goals. The negative attitudes are hindrances for God's energy to manifest itself through you or his power and work. Now, see here. The positive attitudes here is that we may be blameless. Why? Faultless. Why? So that we may shine as stars in a corrupted generation. It's a different story that carries our lives. I think we all know that. We live in the city. Yes, we all do. So at night we go out and all we see is city lights. Yes? But we have, most of us, been away from that. Where there are no city lights that disturbs all the sparkling stars. And they become bright. Yes? We understand Paul's picture instantly when you think about that. God desired to create in our lives the energy, both to will and to work, so that wherever we may be in the world, we can shine like those stars that become so clear, even when things around us are so dark. So what feels your life? That's the real question, friends. That is the real question. I, I read this and I have to speak to myself as much as I speak to us as a church. God remains involved and immediately we see, even in this text, how there's immediate results and there are future results. The immediate result, of course, is a life where we become instruments of joy Catalyst for friendship. Vehicle that brings people together. Tools that God can use to bring people to know him and bring salvation into that. Persons of integrity, women and men of wholeness. People whose life is characterized by their presence in God's people. Just think of that. And then, of course, the future is given. 
Paul spells it out in another letter to a church in Rome where he says, If the spirit of the one who raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will give you life, new life to your mortal bodies through the spirit which dwells in you. Can we, on a grit Sunday, is that something called that? On the Sunday where the focus is grit, recognize the power of God's promise. Even to us here, to those of you who are in the living room, maybe you have to get in the car and come down here and pray with some people. Said, this was my word this morning. My life needs to be lived in that awareness. Some of you here who might feel the same way. We are going to stand, and I want to encourage you to come pray. Maybe you wanted to grab a child's hand, a spouse's hand, or a whole family come down and say, let's pray together and ask God to create in us this new desire. Take me back, O oh Lord, to that point where I had no doubt about your power and your grace. Father, I ask for each here, not just for all of us, although I do that as well, but for each here, each family, each home, each individual, each child, each mature person, everyone, Father, would you speak to us? May this be a reality. Not only do we need it, our homes need it, our neighborhoods need it, our world need it, but Father, we know that that's what you love to give to us. Both the will and the drive. So may it happen even now by the power of your spirit. Amen.